Hey, everybody, Damien Leone, writer, director of Terrifier 2, and you're listening to The Graveyard Show. Welcome to another edition of the Graveyard Show Podcast. I am your caretaker, and the graveyard is open. Well, happy October, everybody. We are in our favorite month of the year. And, of course, Halloween is uh, not too far away as we do our annual countdown from October 1st to the 31st. And uh, I'll get into all the different things you can find on streaming and television and theaters in just a moment. Uh, As you heard at the top of the show... The creator of Art the Clown is going to be joining me in just a moment. Damien Leone will be here to talk about his newest film, Terrifier 2, which is going to be available in theaters and on demand starting October 6th. Now, um, uh, I kind of stepped in it a little bit on this interview. Uh, I believe it's around the second or third question. And, um, well, by stepping in it, I mean... Well, I take pride in the kind of research and prep I do for my interviews. And man, did I flub <laughs> did I flub one of the questions here. And uh, you will hear it in all of its glory. Um, but before that, uh, if you'd like to reach out to the uh, program, you could do so at the email address, which is gyspodcast at gmail.com. gyspodcast at gmail.com. You can send me your thoughts, comments, and if you're part of the horror community and you have something to promote, please do not hesitate to reach out as well. I'm going to get into news and notes in just a second. And later on, after the interview, I'm going to get into uh, what you can expect for uh, my next podcast, as well as plans that I'm having for uh, the Graveyard Show podcast on YouTube. I'm going to do some quick news and because um, I, I really want to get to this interview. So very quickly, uh, Chucky Season 2 is premiering on October 5th on USA and Sci-Fi. Uh, also, Elysian Brewing Company is uh, coming out with a special limited edition Chucky pumpkin beer as well. And it's going to have our favorite killer doll on the can. Hellraiser, the reboot, is going to be coming to Hulu on October 7th. Uh, The film is directed by David Bruckner, who directed The Ritual for Netflix. And, uh, of course, there's a new pinhead in town, as I'm sure all of you heard, as actress Jamie Clayton will be taking on the role of Pinhead, which, of course, was made infamous by the great Doug Bradley. The trailer for the new Netflix series, Guillermo del Toro's Cabinet of Curiosities, is available online. The series premieres on October 25th and uh, looks like there's going to be two episodes dropping every day from the 25th through the 28th. Not sure exactly how long each of the episodes are, if they're 30 minutes or an hour, but uh, you can check that out when they start landing on Netflix. Now, normally I'm not one to get uh, too excited when I hear a remake is uh, announced, but this one uh, caught my eye and I have to say I'm really hoping it happens. Uh, Deadline reports that uh, Nosferatu is apparently going to be remade. And uh, it looks like Robert Eggers is going to be writing and directing the film. Of course, he, uh, he did the films uh, Witch and The Lighthouse. 
Uh, casting has been announced as Bill Skarsgård, of course, who played Pennywise in the It films. Uh, he's attached to, to play the titular character. And Lily Rose Depp is in talks to co-star as well. No word on when this might happen, but let's hope it's a go. The Accursed is the latest feature by Kevin Lewis, whose last film was the Nicolas Cage film Willy's Wonderland. The Accursed stars Mina Suvari, Sarah Gray, Meg Foster, and Alexis Knapp. The Accursed will be in theaters and on demand starting October 14th. Beyond Fest is happening right now in Los Angeles. The 10th anniversary slate uh, includes the world premieres of Halloween Ends, My Best Friend's Exorcism, Christmas Bloody Christmas, special screenings of Hellraiser, Smile, The Menu, Triangle of Sadness, in-person tributes to Park Chan-wook, William Friedkin, and William Shatner. Some screenings to note, Michael Dougherty's film Trick or Treat, Mad Max Fury Road, VHS 99, and special 35mm screenings of Kingdom of the Spiders and The Devil's Reign. Plus, The Beyond, The Composer's Cut, will receive its world premiere with an all-new score from maestro composer Fabio Frizzi. It's going to be awesome, and I cannot wait to hear and see it. And Beyond Fest is running now through October 11th. To learn more, go to beyondfest.com and American Cinematheque for details. In home video news, Arrow Video is going to be releasing the Count Yorga Collection. And uh, I got into this in a lot more detail on my previous podcast. So if you want to hear what each of those discs will contain, uh, you could just go one podcast back to get the details. And, of course, you can always go to Arrow Video's website to find out more as well. The Count Yorga Collection is going to be available on October 25th. Now, Shout Factory is doing their annual Shocktober sale, which means 50% off many of their titles, uh, many of which are horror and science fiction titles. And uh, they're also doing uh, 50% off on uh, some of their collections and uh, box sets as well. Now, some movies are being put on the low inventory alert, and those titles are Alien Outpost, Ambition, Darkness Rising, Rent-A-Pal, Slasher Season 1, the Devil's Dolls, The Rental, and Zombie Fight Club. And you can find out more by going to shoutfactory.com. Some quick notes. I uh, wanted to uh, give a uh, congratulations to Riker Overacker. Uh, Riker won uh, Best Actor for a streaming movie, Bottle Monster, at the Young Artist Academy Awards. So congratulations to Riker. And um, I'm sure uh, Paul Overacker and Marjorie DeHay are incredibly proud as well. Uh, they joined me, um, gosh, two years ago, I guess now, a year and a half ago, to talk about their film, Bottle Monster. So if you want to find that, just go back a bunch of podcasts and you can find my interview with them. So congratulations, Riker. That's awesome. If you're a subscriber to the Criterion channel, uh, you are in for a massive October treat as they are going horror movie crazy this month. Lots of 1980s horror, vampire films, universal horror movies, uh, an Ishiro Honda tribute, and a whole lot more. Now, they're uh, doing a 14-day free trial, uh, which isn't bad to take advantage of. If you are not familiar with the Criterion channel... Um, and then it's ten ninety nine a month after that, or you could do the annual fee for one hundred dollars. Turner Classic Movies is featuring robots as their star of the month for October. Uh, there's going to be ten movies shown on Saturdays in October, and here are those ten films: uh, Metropolis, Forbidden Planet, The Day the Earth Stood Still, 
Westworld, THX 1138, George Lucas's first film, RoboCop, Dr. Goldfoot and the Bikini Machine, Making Mr. Right, Godzilla vs. Mechagodzilla, and Deadly Friend. TCM is also doing uh, what they're calling Creepy Cinema Mondays, and uh, they will also be running horror movies all day on the 30th as well as Halloween. AMC, of course, is going to be the place to go as usual, at least on the cable and satellite side, uh, as they're already uh, off and running with their October lineup of horror films and TV shows. So you know where to go to find AMC. And uh, obviously there are uh, a bunch of streamers out there with uh, tons of programming for the month of October. Headlined, of course, by Shudder. Lots coming to our favorite horror site this October, headlined by a new Mad God-inspired edition of the Gulag, which is very, very cool. Starting the 7th, you can get live horror recommendations from Shudder's head of programming, Sam Zimmerman, every Friday from 3 p.m. to 4 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Joe Bob, Darcy, and the gang are going to return on October 21st for Joe Bob's Haunted Halloween Hangout, featuring a very special guest. I wonder if that's going to be uh, Tom Atkins, finally. That'd be, uh, that'd be great. Um, and then, of course, I always like to remind you about our friends across the pond, Weary Pines, Jamie Chambers and Don McLennan Jr., the, uh, the team of Weary Pines who uh, provided the soundtracks for In Search of Darkness, Parts 1, 2, and now 3, as well as In Search of Tomorrow. You can find them streaming on your favorite streaming music site, and of course, you can go to their website, wearypines.com as well. All right, enough of all this. Uh, on the other side, I'm going to get into what you can expect on the next podcast as well as uh, future plans for the Graveyard Show podcast on YouTube. But as you hear in the background, a new grave is being added. And when that happens, my guest is here. It's time for me to get to work. As Halloween approaches, our old friend Art the Clown returns in the latest film, Terrifier 2, which hits theaters and on demand October 6th. Damien Leone is the writer and director of the film, and I am really pleased and happy to welcome him inside the graveyard. Damien, thank you for joining me here on the show. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Well, uh, it's great having you here. And um, before I get into Terrifier 2, uh, I wanted to look back at the uh, first film Art the Clown appeared in, uh, All Hallows' Eve, uh, which you wrote and directed as well. How did you come up with the idea of Art the Clown? Um, I had this, I had, listen, many, many different little weird ideas uh, growing up uh, when I was making my first short films. And for whatever reason, one of many was this killer clown harassing this woman alone on a city bus in the middle of the night. And um, for some reason, I knew I really wanted to use that somewhere. And when I got out of, uh, I didn't go to film school, but I took one film class and then I decided I did not want to go to film school. I just wanted to jump in and make a short film. So I had this idea of a, of a woman who's sort of abducted and then she's uh, thrown over to the hands of a demonic cult of demons and whatnot. And then I figured, hey, I could use this clown idea as the, uh, as the intro and a way to get her abducted. 
And then it was about, well, what does this character look like? And at the time, this was around 2005, so I specifically did not want him to look anything like Tim Curry's Pennywise because he's that's the most popular clown and he's the king of killer clowns. So I said, if we're going to do something, we got to do something new, something fresh with this character. So I decided to make him black and white, not have hair, not speak, uh, you know, across the board. And then as far as facially, I when I sculpted, because I do the special makeup effects as well, I wanted him to sort of look like the comic book Joker, the way his features are, very sharp, very pointed, and kind of like a, your classic devil look. So so that's what happened. And, and again, he was only this uh, supporting character in the opening two minutes of The Ninth Circle. That's what the short was called. And everybody who I showed that to immediately i mean they could care less about the demons and the monsters and all this stuff they all just said wow that clown at the beginning is was crazy he's really creepy you have something and he looks great you should do more stuff with that character and i got that note across the board so eventually the next logical step was to make a another short film where it, it, it specifically focused on art and i turned him into a slasher now in this film uh the third time that uh, david howard thornton uh will uh play art the clown how did you end up casting him uh back uh for all hallows eve well he's actually not uh in all hallows eve that was my uh the original art the clown in my first two short films and all hallows eve was uh my good friend mike gianelli who was just just my buddy that i would uh he was sort of my guinea pig when I was learning how to do special effects and I would do all these, I would put bullet hits on him and I would make prosthetics. And when I was making that short, I said, Hey man, I know you're not an actor, but I have this silent clown character. And since I already have your face mold, I could, uh, you could play this part and uh, it'll be easy. I'll talk you through it. You just really got to smile and this and that. And, uh, and it just kept taking off and he had to keep doing it, but he's not an actor and it's not really his thing. He did not like going through all those hours and hours of makeup and eventually, when it came time to do Terrifier, he, uh, he told me it's just really not for him anymore. So we parted ways. I mean, we're still very close, but, you know, in terms of acting and directing, we parted ways. And uh, I had to start from scratch, and I held an audition in the city. I uh, just put an ad out for making a killer clown movie, and that was basically it. There was really very little information. And Dave was about the sixth person to walk in the room. And as soon as I saw him physically, I knew he would be fantastic in that makeup because I wanted somebody now skinnier and taller. And Dave had this big smile that I just loved. And I told him, look, you're a silent killer clown. And uh, can you pretend you're decapitating somebody and doing it very happily, very gleefully? And that was my direction. And he immediately just flipped the switch and gave this wonderful performance that you could actually see online. And I knew that was my guy. I saw six people, and after he left the room, I basically told my producer, Phil, who was sitting next to me, I said, I don't think there's any reason to look any further. I said, let's have this guy come back to the apartment, and we'll put the prosthetic on him, and we'll film him doing that whole shtick again. And that was it. Well, I feel really stupid right now. Because <laughs> oh, no, I could have sworn that David was in the original as well, but uh, apparently that is not... <laughs> I I was yeah. very mistaken. Um, well, oh, let's yeah. talk about the differences between Mike and David. Um, how how is there a difference in which uh, both men uh, portrayed uh, or portraying uh, in this case with the David uh, art? Yeah, there is there is a pretty noticeable difference. I mean, the uh, the core of art, which is his look and when he's got to be really scary, and I I you know I, I write those 
kind of dark, humorous situations, all that kind of stuff he does. Like a lot of people think a lot of that's improvised. It's really not. It's all in the script uh, for the most part. But I say Mike Gianelli played him might as well have been a guy just in a clown costume, whereas Dave actually turned Art the Clown into a clown. And uh, because he's so theatrical, he's a trained actor, and he did a lot of, you know, he did, he uh, toured with the Grinch for, for years. And he, you know, so he has all that, those Jim Carrey mannerisms, and he loves Mr. Bean and all this kind of physical comedy. So he really brought that to it. And uh, when I noticed that while we were filming the movie, especially during uh, one particular moment, in the um, in the pizzeria scene in Terrifier One, uh, when he gives Tara the ring and then he gets up and skips to the bathroom, he did this very cartoony sort of Bugs Bunny <laughs> exit, and I said wow, to myself, I just said, "Wow, that's like very over the top. That's like so campy and cartoony." I said, "I would have never written art like that." But you know, let me be more open-minded. He is a clown, and he maybe he should be a lot more clownish so um so i started doing that and i allowed dave to really um sort of inject that into the character but there's also many times where i tell him to to pull back on that sometimes i tell him to drop the whole clown shtick uh, completely uh because i think it just adds to the creep factor and also the mystique you never know what's really going on behind that character what's going on in his head mm -hmm. so it's fun, but yeah, he is much more, much more animated than uh, Mike was for sure. Does that allow you uh, more freedom when you get to the editing room, where you have those different takes and oh. those different ideas, and you could either yeah, sure. go with those, or you could maybe cut around it if it's not something that you that you prefer uh, in certain scenes. A hundred percent. So, a perfect example of that. This is where the imp uh, improvisation really comes into play with with art so for instance a scene like the costume shop where he he comes in he sits across from the girls and then he just starts making all those crazy faces like every time tara turns around he's got a new expression on so i i'll give dave my direction i'll tell him like one specific or two specific smiles and looks that i want him to do and then i'll just let the camera roll and for the next couple of takes i'll just tell dave to go crazy and that's when he really comes to life and does all this wonderful stuff um, and he gives me a whole spectrum of things to choose from that are more subtle and then some that go very far but it's great that i can choose those when i get to the editing room and i can really mold the performance uh which is fantastic i usually have a lot of options so um let's get into terrifier 2 uh what can you tell everybody out there what this film is about <laughs> um well it is a direct continuation of part one and um it's just bigger the scope is so much bigger there is a huge supernatural element um throughout this entire film that is so different that really sets it apart from the first one because i really wanted to address the fact that art was resurrected and i didn't want to just say oh hey it's part of the you know your typical uh slasher lore where eventually the killer just becomes supernatural and you kind of have to accept it and i really wanted to address it and make i guess it's not a i mean i guess i could spoil it but yeah i mean like the, the supernatural there is a supernatural entity in this movie that is an actual character played by an actor uh that uh, is throughout the whole movie that hasn't really been spoiled yet thankfully so i'm excited to see what people think uh, yeah but he is um so he's resurrected and he's sort of guided by this evil toward this um teenage girl and her younger brother um and they especially the teenage girl sienna played by lauren Levera, who is 
she is Art's nemesis in this film. She's sort of his counterpart, and she's uh, kind of thrust into her own trajectory, her own mythic trajectory, so to speak, and uh, discovering her place and her relation in it, uh, to Art the Clown. And that that's what I was most excited for with this movie, honestly. And there's also a lot of drama that wasn't in the first one that really brings life, breathes life into these characters and makes them feel much more three-dimensional and fleshed out. As the creator of this series, um, did you approach this particular film differently when you started putting it together? Um, I don't think so. Um, I mean, the good thing about this movie, this was the first time in my life I actually got to uh, sit down and focus on nothing but a script, meaning I was I was actually like paid to, to write this script. I, I didn't have to do a, a, a work a side job or anything in the middle. So it was the first time I got to just wake up and write for like three months straight. So in that regard, it was different. But, you know, all the way I work is um, it's just a, I collect ideas as um, I like to drive around a lot and that just and just listen to music and zone out and that's how I get a lot of my ideas and I'll just start building the you know all putting all the puzzle pieces down and get, just get the, the the structure as best as I can and then I'll just start filling in the gaps when it comes down to the to the screenwriting part so and especially in regards to the Sienna character. That was a character that I've had in my head since 2008. I've been dying to put that camera, that that character on, on film, uh, and I've been wanting to tackle a protagonist because I've been making these movies about villains, uh, you know, especially art. Just uh, terrifies basically just a showcase for a villain. But I have such an affinity for heroes as well, especially female heroes uh, like Ripley from Aliens is one of my favorite, if not my favorite character of all time so and I love Red Sonja and I love sword and sorcery movies so I've had this character in my head for a while so I, I knew I, I knew it was going to be a very heavy handed sort of mythic good versus evil uh, film very different than the first one well uh, it's interesting you mentioned Sienna because I did read somewhere where you mentioned that this is uh, your favorite character you've ever written so what is it about Sienna uh, that made you feel that way Oh boy! Well, there's a few things. Again, like I said, I, I love heroes, and I love—I um, just love watching that arc unfold. Especially a hero who's very vulnerable and very sort of um, um, unsure of themselves at the beginning, and you watch them grow, and you watch that shift. That is—it's so rewarding um, if it's done right. And also, it's a very personal character because I drew from a lot of personal relationships to flesh her out. She's pretty much based on my two older sisters. Um, so there's, and, and a little bit of me, honestly, with her being an artist and sort of the things that she's into, like the fantasy and the music she listens to, things like that. So there's a lot of personal things going on uh, pretty much within the whole family dynamic. Uh, so this is probably the most personal movie, I would say definitely that I ever wrote. Um, but I just, I just love her so much because I just, I admire so many things about that character, um, especially her courage and how, maternal she is um how protective she is over her brother and things like that so yeah really happy with that character so now in this film you have lauren uh lavera playing sienna um she has experience um from what i've read in martial arts hand-to-hand combat that kind of stuff uh did that help when it came to shooting the fight sequences oh absolutely that's one of the i mean she her her acting ability was just was the standout, obviously, but that was sort of icing on the cake when I saw that she's also a 
martial artist. Now, she's a really good martial artist, no joke. Um, I mean, it would have been cool if that was the character and she really did have to, you know, incorporate some amazing moves and things like that because she could be really flashy. But Sienna is not a martial artist in the movie. She's very, she's very grounded, but she'll she's very resourceful and she'll fight just down and dirty and pick up any weapon and do whatever she has to do to survive. But Lauren also does her own stunts. So when it comes time for her to get tossed over, altars and, uh, and and pews in the chapel and things like that i mean she was getting thrown into the breakaway mirrors and things like that she did all of that stuff she did every stunt in the movie other than one really dangerous stunt um she did all her own stunts so it was a huge advantage huge benefit having her as a martial artist was she able to pull punches <laughs> right. oh man yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh i think <laughs> i'm actually <laughs> she's She's amazing. She's amazing. That's great. Right. She, could, she could really sell sell a hit. Yeah. Um, especially that bathroom scene, man. She really helped me when it came time to when I was in the editing room. I had some cutaways of her when she was really just throwing herself into all these walls and stuff that I it saved saved the scene. So she's a beast. Wow. Yeah, you got to be careful when you have number one jumping around and doing all these stunts. <laughs> oh, know, exactly. exactly. <laughs> I'm sure there were times where you're probably like, oh, God, no. Oh, no, please. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Quite a few. <laughs> uh, speaking of uh, selling, uh, you, uh, you were able to cast uh, one of the great wrestlers, uh, Chris Jericho, who obviously uh, comes from a world of um, selling hits and, and punches and uh, doing all kinds of incredible physical activity. Um, you got him in the movie. You got uh, Felissa Rose, a uh, horror icon in the film. So how did you end up getting them uh, for this movie? Uh, Chris Jericho was, um, he was just a huge fan. And we heard, you know, I heard through friends of mine, because I have, uh, I'm a wrestling fan, but I sort of fell off as I got older. But I certainly, no, I was watching it in, uh, you know, when Chris Jericho was like uh, in his prime or whatever. I mean, he's still kind of in his prime. But I mean, so I knew very well who he was. But I have buddies who were, um, they're still diehard wrestling fans they watch they watch everything and then i would hear i would get calls from them saying dude like i'm listening to jericho's podcast and he's he just talked about terrifier and arthur cloud and said he's he's the next like face of horror and things like that and i was just blown away and then he wound up meeting david at a, a convention i believe and he had david on his podcast and eventually i got in touch with him and he just told me how much he loved the movie and said hey if you ever have a part I would love to be in this franchise. And he was so kind and it was amazing. And I said, absolutely, man. Like I didn't have a part for him, but I wrote a part for him just because I wanted to work with him. Heck yeah. He, <laughs> yeah. No, no brainer. And he's just such a cool guy and he's such a big horror fan, just a movie fan. So we, we were talking about all, all the classic movies like John Carpenter's The Thing and everything. So just amazing. It was really, really a cool experience working with him. And Felissa Rose, we met at the horror conventions because Dave and I get invited to so many now where I put him in the Arthur Clown makeup and we meet fans. And she is one of the most genuine, sweetest, loving people. I mean, that's you'll hear that unanimously throughout every convention that she's one of the most wonderful people. I was just we were just hanging out with her at New Jersey HorrorCon a couple of days ago. So I just knew I wanted to just have her be a part of this family and get her in there somewhere. So she has a she has a cool little part. Um, it's that's great. It's one of the benefits of meeting all these wonderful people, the people that I grew up uh, watching their movies as a kid and loving them, and now I get to work with them. It's really special. Now, speaking of working with them, um, you worked with them actually. This was this film was shot in late 2019, so um, you had the 2020 shutdown. So, talk about that moment, how that affected your film. 
Yeah, uh, for me, when I say it was a blessing, I don't mean that in any, I, I just mean for me, I got to, I was dead by the time we got to the, the, the pandemic hit us. Like we, I was running on fumes and we were just treading, I was treading water because we jumped into the movie without having half of the special effects ready uh, to go. Uh, I was trying to hire uh, another makeup crew for the first time in my life before we started shooting this. I was hoping they could take like 40% of the, the effects off my shoulders just to take some of the burden off. And like a month before we started shooting, they bailed out because we couldn't come to terms on the money that they wanted. And then I didn't know what to do. I didn't know if we should postpone any longer. And my producer, Phil, just said, we have to go in and start shooting and we'll, we'll worry about it later. So, so we went in and sometimes we'd have to film for a week up until the point where the effects start happening. And then we'd break and we'd spend five days. Phil and I would spend five days just uh, prepping all these effects. Then we'd go back in and shoot them and continue. So one of the big issues we were running into was the big kill scene that I was hoping was gonna rival the hacksaw scene from part one. We began to shoot it, we shot it for two days and whatever little effects that I had prepared, they were not coming out to my liking. And then I knew like, oh boy, this isn't gonna live up to people's expectations by, by any means. So once the pandemic hit and we had this break, I reconfigured that entire sequence and now I had time to create all these really cool special effects for that scene. And because of COVID, that scene turned out to be way, way better. Um, so that was one of the benefits. Um, so, but, and, but it did set us back about four months uh, not as not as long as people think. Uh, the, the reason this movie took so long is just because it was so ambitious, and we didn't want to compromise anything that was in the script, and we did whatever we had to do to get it done. Um, and that's that's really why it took so long. It was just a very small group of dedicated people doing all of this, building sets, building special effects. So basically, you were you were fortunate. You didn't lose anybody, whether it was cast or crew, or maybe some crew. I don't know. But as far as cast goes, you, you were able to hold on to people, and uh, I guess probably too because nothing was really going on anyway during that time. So you probably yeah, didn't yeah. have to worry about that very much. Right. No. No. Everybody. Yeah. Everybody was on board. You know. It just it took a while before people were comfortable to come back in uh, and shoot. Uh, of course, because sure. Yeah. Nobody stream or what 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 was really going on so yeah but eventually you know it happened and we we got it done thankfully thankfully we didn't have too much left uh after the pandemic um so it worked out was it was it did it did it cause some strain on the production because of all the testing and all the six feet and the masking and everything did did was it problematic at all or was it something that everyone was able to roll with we were able to roll with it. Even even in between doing that, we actually we actually had to break again to go help my my co-producers were making their own horror movie because I had told everybody that this movie was going to take like three months, three and a half months to shoot, and now we're going into years. And my co-producers were trying to make their own movie, and now years are going by, and they're like, "I we got to go and make." our own movie and they wanted me to do the special effects for it and they were doing so many favors for me that I actually had to go and work on their movie and they shot theirs in the height of COVID where they really had to be strict with all the, the COVID rules and regulations and protocol so so we knew and we had all the connections now and we had the uh, COVID officers and we knew what we had to do when we went back into shooting Terrifier um, so it all it all worked out. It's definitely a, a lot more useful doing that. Um, everybody's sort of on edge, and you know. But again, you, you get it. It's just one of the many 
yeah. curveballs that get thrown at you during your uh, production. Sure, yeah. It's everything that everyone had to deal with in one form or another. Yeah. Um, yeah. Really quickly, um, you mentioned that you didn't go to film school, uh, yet here you are. You've, uh, you've made these uh, incredible films. You, you've, you've created this, you know, a, a modern-day classic horror character uh, in art. Uh, you've directed these movies, you've produced movies. So for those people out there that uh, are not able to go to film school, can you uh, give a little background as to how you were able, what was your path into the film industry? Yeah, it, um, listen, I'm not, uh, I'm not one of these people that says you don't need to go to film school. I think film school could be really beneficial to a lot of people, especially if you want to network. And so I'm not against it, but um, I... I first got into filmmaking uh, through special makeup effects. So when I was when I was seven, I, I discovered uh, Tom Savini's uh, VHS tape called Scream Greats. And if you don't know who Tom Savini is, he's a makeup effects master from the late seventies, eighties. You know, he did uh, Friday the Thirteenth, Dawn of the Dead, Creep Show, just like a pioneer with the graphic uh, special makeup effects. And I was I was always an artist in terms of drawing and painting and things like that. But when I saw him creating the monsters, sort of a light bulb went off and I knew I wanted to get into that. And when I was 12, I started taking it very seriously and I started dabbling in makeup and getting my hands on makeup kits and makeup books and VHS tutorials, whatever I could do to learn how to do it. And then um, my buddy, you know, you're talking, this is probably like 1994 or something, three or four. My buddy's father had like this old JVC camcorder and uh, he let me borrow it and we'd film the special effects. And then I really got into filming and making short films and, you know, no script or anything like that. We were just kids messing around, improvising with the camera. But I, I always loved films and I started getting really obsessed with editing and in-camera editing. And I would watch, keep watching movies that I loved and try and mimic shots and edits that I was seeing and jump cuts and things. And honestly, I learned everything just by being obsessed with films and watching every kind of movie and studying them. Uh, and I've, you know, I was like that kid in American Beauty who just walked around with the camcorder around his neck filming everything. It was just a part of me. It was an extension of me. And all I did was film and make short films my entire life. Um, and there was, yeah, I mean, once I got my hands on that camcorder and my first uh, makeup kit, I, I consider that the first day of the rest of my life. I, I've never stopped. There's never a day that goes by where I'm not thinking about something filmic, where I'm not thinking of writing something or makeup, or it's just, it's always, I've been on the same trajectory uh, since that moment. Was so, that was I, that the JVC camcorder that you used to be able to hit the letterbox button and it would make it like a fake yes. letterbox? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I, I had that too. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I used to love that thing. That thing was very cool. <laughs> <laughs> I went through like I went through like three or four of those things during my uh, my childhood. Oh uh, yeah, I, I believe it. It was funny because uh, I had gotten one. My folks got it for me as well um, as a present, and um, within a few months, one of the, a couple of pixels started going out. I'm like, oh darn it! <laughs> uh, that is so funny. Well, um, listen, um, uh, if people want to follow you or if they want to follow the film on social media, uh, where can they go? Yeah, I'm uh, primarily on Instagram at Damien underscore Leone. Uh, my Facebook page, there's um, you can uh, a really cool thing is the Art the Clown Appreciation Society on Facebook. It's a really cool Facebook page, and we're very interactive in there. 
and it's your your diehard Terrifier and Art the Clown fans, and they're they're so amazing. So, and uh, to get tickets to see Terrifier Two, it's uh, go on the website uh, Terrifier Two the Movie. Uh, com, but you can get tickets now. Just Fandang- Fandango and all those kind. It's playing in AMC's, Regal's, like seven hundred and forty theaters uh, across the country. Well, so. listen, can't wait to see it. Uh, I know everybody out there can't wait as well. Uh, Terrifier two, everybody. It hits theaters and it's going to be available on demand October sixth. Damien, thank you so much. It was really a pleasure having you join me here inside the graveyard. I really appreciate the time. Uh, fantastic uh, work and uh, good luck with this film. And uh, look forward to having you back again down the road. Oh, thank you, buddy. Likewise, it was a pleasure. 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 And as I put this interview to rest, I want to again thank Damien for not only joining me in the graveyard, but being so, so understanding uh, for my flub. It was uh, a little embarrassing, to say the least. I'm sure you heard it in my voice. Um, after the interview, I did apologize to him again for the error. He, he was awesome. He, he just said, he goes, look, um, it's not the first time someone thought that David played Art the Clown in all three movies. He's like, it, it, it kind of happens more than you think. And I was like, well, I appreciate it. Thank you so much. I, I still feel like a dope but uh, thank you thank you for that and make sure you check out Terrifier 2 in theaters and on demand starting October 6th now as I begin to close down the graveyard I want to remind you uh, for those of you that are podcast subscribers to the show, you should really start considering subscribing to the Graveyard Show podcast on YouTube, as I am going to be focusing on providing more content for the YouTube channel. Uh, the last few years have allowed me uh, a lot more flexibility to do the interviews that you hear, uh, but now it's starting to get a little tougher uh, to schedule them uh, for myself with my time, uh, as well as trying to prep for them, uh, although you would notice <laughs> with, the, with the question that I asked, but I actually do prep for these things. So I have been strongly considering doing a lot more production for YouTube since it gives me more flexibility and more creativity to do things on my own time. So it doesn't mean, though, that I'm getting out of the interview game or the podcasting game. It just means that there's going to be more time in between podcasts. So just prepare yourself for that if you just listen to the show uh, as a podcast. However, if you do come over and join us here on YouTube, here's what you're going to get. You're going to get the same two things that you would get as a podcast subscriber. You're still going to get the Graveyard Show podcast when it uploads. Uploads the same day on YouTube as it does on uh, all the podcasting sites, as well as the Graveyard Show Classic Podcast. So you're going to get both of those the same day they're uploaded uh, for a podcast. They're here, right here on YouTube. In addition to those, you're going to get on YouTube, BC's Video Vault, which are the 2010 um, movie review uh, segments from the original Graveyard Show podcast that Brian Collins from Horror Movie A Day did. There are six segments. He reviewed uh, three movies each segment. So you get about 18 movies or so, uh, give or take. I think there was one where he might have uh, interviewed a little bit more than three. You're also going to get a new segment called The Caretaker Reveals. Uh, They are short video segments where I feature something that I purchased, uh, either in the horror genre or for science fiction, something that I think uh, all of you out there would be interested in seeing. So far, um, one of The Caretaker Reveals is the swag bundle that I received after I purchased In Search of Tomorrow, the 1980s super documentary on science fiction films. 
And uh, the other caretaker reveal segment are uh, two shirts that I purchased from Fright Rags that I thought you would be interested in seeing. And I, you know, get in there and you, you see what the quality is. It's great stuff. And you get to see all like the little uh, extras that you get in uh, the shipment as well. There's also the George A. Romero wing here on the Graveyard Show podcast on YouTube. Uh, It contains anything related to George Romero, uh, whether it's interviews or people talking about his films. Anything that is related to George A. Romero is in the George A. Romero wing. And um, it's actually going to be getting a facelift fairly soon as well, as well as more uh, content that I'm going to be providing for that. Then there's Catacombs of Horror, which is a video production where I feature a topic for discussion. Now, right now, there are three of them. Uh, what best represents 1980s horror? I'm joined by David Weiner, the director of In Search of Darkness series, as well as In Search of Tomorrow. Uh, we talk about what we think best represents 1980s horror in four different categories. Uh, another one is my favorite scenes from Count Yorga Vampire, which uh, is blowing up by the day. Uh, a lot of you are finding it and getting great comments and likes for that video. And most recently, uh, I just uploaded uh, my favorite scenes from Halloween 4, the missed opportunity the series could have taken, and why I think Halloween 4 is the most important film in the series outside the original. And that one has gained a lot more traction after I uploaded it for a second time. The first time I uploaded it, it was like a ghost town. Now that I uh, uploaded it again, uh, y'all, y'all are finding it. There you go. I just went southern on you here. Y'all are finding it, and um, it's great to see, and people are starting to comment on it and like it as well. Now, I'm currently trying to get the newest Catacombs of Horror ready by Halloween. But before we get into that, let's look at what's coming up on the next Graveyard Show podcast. The week of October 10th, the next podcast is going to be a special edition as we will get a little preview of what to expect from the upcoming documentary In Search of Darkness Part 3. That's right. The latest edition in the In Search of Darkness series is coming out, and it's coming out very, very soon. And who better to join me to talk about that film than the director of the film as well as the series, Mr. David Weiner. We're going to get a rough idea of what you can expect, and more importantly, how you can purchase a copy of the film as well, and where you can go to purchase a copy of that film. So, the week of October 10th, David Weiner, special edition of the Graveyard Show podcast, In Search of Darkness Part 3. Cannot wait to bring that to you. Hey, to all of my uh, new YouTube listeners and subscribers, welcome. It's great having you here, and I look forward to having more of you joining me here on YouTube very, very soon. The Graveyard Show podcast is available everywhere podcasts exist, and of course, right here on YouTube as well. If you know anyone who is a fan of horror, please invite them to enter the graveyard. New listeners and friends are always Welcome. In the meantime, my friends, I look forward to seeing you again very soon. Come on back the week of October 10th to learn about In Search of Darkness Part 3. And as you exit the graveyard, I would like to remind you to please lock the gate behind you. We wouldn't want anyone to get out. Until next time.